He is risen. He is risen indeed. My grandfather uh, used to call us every Easter morning, year after year, at the break of dawn, and uh, he would say, He is risen on the phone. And we had to reply, He is risen indeed. And if we did not, we did not go back to bed to sleep in. I was going to say, Let's try that again, but you guys did phenomenally, so we don't have to say that. But it's wonderful to be here with you guys this morning. We begin our text this morning on the morning of Easter. And Jesus had been crucified and killed on Friday, what we call Good Friday. He was buried in the tomb on Friday. And he laid there Friday night through Saturday into Sunday. And then on Sunday morning, the women among his disciples came to the tomb to honor him and present spices there. But his body was nowhere to be found. They met two angels. And the angels greeted them saying, He is risen. He is not here. And they go back and they report this message to all the other disciples. Making them the first heralds of the risen Christ. And then this rumor began circulating. Jesus' body is nowhere to be found. Is he risen? Is he risen? And we find ourselves today with two of the disciples... In Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13. The title of the message this morning is The Undoing of All Evil. The Undoing of All Evil. In Luke 24, verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came up and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman said, but they did not see Jesus. And he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? 
they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told them what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Today we find ourselves joining two disciples of Jesus as they walk along toward a town called Emmaus near Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was considered the holy city of God. The Jews believed it was the place where God resided on earth. Jerusalem literally means the city of peace. And these two disciples are walking away from that city towards their home. Cleopas and his companion, who many scholars believe is his wife, are going to their home together. But as they're traveling, they're talking about how hopeless and how discouraged they feel. Now their faces are downcast. You guys know that feeling when it seems like everything is, is just crumpling around you and your face is, you can just look at it on your friend's face and just tell that, that something's wrong. Their faces were downcast and their words are these. We had hoped that he would be the one that would redeem Israel. As people who had been occupied and oppressed by the Romans, as people who had sinned and abandoned God, the Jewish people longed for the one God would send to redeem them. Cleopas and his wife had gotten their hopes up. Can you think about a time when you've gotten your hopes up, where you thought your dreams and your longings were going to come to fruition, but then in a moment, they seemed to dissipate? Can you think of a moment like that? You know, last night I was coming home with my wife from a a pre-Easter family dinner at Will and Sarah's home. And I was hoping to get home and have a quiet evening, to get right to work on the sermon, prepare for this morning, have some nice time with my wife. But my hopes of a quiet night were dashed in an instant. For those of you who don't know, Malia and I raise bunnies. We raise bunnies. And so we have a few litters of bunnies right now. And uh, that means 26 baby bunnies in total. So quite a few baby bunnies. 26 bunnies. These are just the babies, not the moms or dads. And uh, last night, these Easter bunnies decided to escape. And so most of them found their way outside of their big run, pushing through little holes. And Melina, when we got home, Melina had gone out to check on them, just give them some extra water. We'd already taken care of them that day. We thought they were fine. They've been fine. And so Lena goes out to check on them, and uh, she texts me from outside and says, baby bunny outbreak. That's it, just baby bunny outbreak. And it, uh, it looked like this. And that's like not an exaggeration. That's a real video from my backyard. No, I'm just kidding. That part's not true. That part's not true. Um, and so I go outside, and the baby bunnies are hiding everywhere, right? You like walk, and you'll see a bunch scatter. And they're everywhere. And so we, we spent the next hour in the dark trying to catch as many as we could. We caught 22 out of 24. Um, of 24 that escaped. So 22 of 24. Um, sorry, no, 22 of 26. There's, there's still four. We've seen two left this morning. Anyways, there's four left that we haven't caught yet. Hopefully later today, maybe we'll find them. Uh, but pray for us. In all seriousness... Can you think of a time where you'd gotten your hopes up? Maybe it was you hoped for a quiet night and that night seemed to be ruined, you know, when you got home. Uh, Or maybe it was much more serious than that. Maybe it was a dream of a school you wanted to go to, but then you weren't accepted. 
Maybe it was a job that seemed like it'd be the perfect fit, the perfect opportunity, but you didn't receive the offer or you didn't receive the promotion. Maybe it was the offer for the perfect house that got rejected. Maybe it was the guy or girl you were head over heels for and you found out they just want to be friends. Maybe you lost someone. Maybe you found out that there was an illness that you had or a loved one had that seemed crippling and debilitating. Can you think about a time when your dreams seemed to be dashed and the hopelessness that you felt in those moments or still feel? And many of us have experienced the dashing of our hopes before. When our hopes have been defeated, when they've seemingly died. We too know what it is like to have hoped. And if you're like me at all, when our hopes don't come to fruition, we begin to ask the question, why? Why did I mess this good thing up? I was so close. Why did that person have to do this to me? If they could only know my pain. Why do I have to be in this situation? Why would God let this happen to me? When our hopes have been dashed, we begin to wonder why. And the answer seems to lie with some spiritual force of evil in the world. And the Bible tells a story about this spiritual force of evil and how it affects every single one of us. Not only does it affect us, it also infects us. And this evil dashes our dreams. But also, no matter how hard we try, we end up being complicit in this evil as well. We end up living into the same cycles of evil in this world that our parents did, that our grandparents did, that our friends have done, at least to some extent. And the Bible tells a story about how this evil came into the world. And the story begins with the creator God creating us, humanity. And he creates us to live in perfect harmony and relationship with him as our father and life giver, but also to live in perfect harmony with one another and the rest of creation. And this is the idea of heaven. It's exemplified in the place called the Garden of Eden in Genesis 2 and 3. And human beings are personified in this story as a man and a woman called Adam and Eve. And what we see in Genesis 3, in the story of humanity and evil coming into the world, we see an unknown spiritual being appear in their midst. We know this spiritual being as the devil serpent. And the spiritual being offers them food to eat, a fruit that is forbidden because it will open their eyes so that they recognize good and evil. And once we recognize good and evil, we end up doing good and evil. And we lean towards more and more evil. And when the couple eats the fruit, their eyes are opened and they begin to see the world in a whole new way. They experience shame and guilt and evil. And then the humans are displaced out of God's holy place, that garden. Why? Because they've been corrupted and it's been corrupted. It's no longer perfect harmony with God and creation. And so we have this story of how evil came into the world and why people do evil to us and why we can't help but contribute to the cycles of sin in this world as well. So how can this be undone? Is there another way of being in the world that is not usurped by that evil serpent? And on this road to Emmaus, at first it seems not. It seems that death has won and that our hopes have been dashed. Cleopas and his companions' dreams are dashed 
and their faces are downcast. They could not see how the, the crucified one could come back to life. They couldn't see past evil winning. And I know I can feel similarly. Sometimes it seems like evil just keeps winning. Even in myself. So often I know the good I ought to do and I want to do it. But when push comes to shove, I don't. I think about myself. I think about how I long to be a person of peace, patience, kindness, and gentleness. But when I feel like I'm being criticized by others, I snap back. I want to be a person of hospitality, but when I'm tired, I just want to be alone. And I can feel stuck in my sin and in my situations at times. I want to be like Jesus, but like his disciples, I feel like he just isn't here. All I feel is suffering and hardship, and I feel stuck. How about you? In your life, is there some good you know you ought to do, but you just don't seem to always do it? Is it your purity, either personally or in a relationship? Is it your pride or selfishness? Do you have a hard time not defending yourself or not thinking about yourself first or prioritizing your success over everyone else? Do you feel stuck in sin? Or stuck in a situation where you feel like you just keep losing and there's no way out? I know most everyone in this room, and welcome to the people I do not know. It's wonderful to have you guys here. But I know you guys, and I know you want to be like Jesus. You long to be like Jesus. So why does evil keep winning? Can it ever be undone? But as we keep reading on the Emmaus Road, there does seem to be an alternative. Again, we see the story of two people confronting evil. And these people, probably also man and wife, also see an unknown spiritual being whom they don't recognize. And he appears in their midst. The spiritual being also offers them food. But this time he offers bread. And this time the one offering the bread is indeed the bread of life. Again, the food offers, offered to them opens their eyes so that they see the world in a whole new way. But rather now seeing their world through sin and shame, they see their world through the power of the resurrection and the new Christ. And their eyes are opened to recognize the risen Jesus. And instead of being displaced from the city of God, they return to Jerusalem, the place of peace, the city of God himself. Instead of being separated from the divine community, they are restored to the divine community. And the disciples share in the good news of the resurrection together. What is happening is a return to Eden. But this time is an undoing of the events that occurred there previously. Jesus is undoing all evil. And he's opening our eyes too, so that we can conquer evil as well. He is showing us that we do not need to be stuck anymore. There is an open door. The tomb is empty. The crucifixion did not have the final say. The Messiah had to suffer all these things. Yes, but the story was never over. For you, wherever you find yourself today, in your relationships, in your character, in your circumstances. Your story is not over. There might be some putting to death that needs to take place. There might be still some suffering as of yet. There might still be some stones that need rolled away. 
but the risen one is here. He is with you. And as we took communion and we take communion week after week, he is offering his body for you to take part in that you might be resurrected to both now and forever. And so how do we do this? How can we live Easter lives today and every day, even in the midst of seemingly hopeless circumstances? I have three practices for us this week. The first practice is discuss your doubts. Discuss your doubts. We must walk with one another and be real with one another as a community. We must also be real with God. If you have any doubts, if you're having any doubts, if there's any sin in your life or anything you've been hiding from people that you're just scared of, that you're running away from, talk about it with someone this week. You are not alone, so don't live like you're alone. Discuss your doubts with others. You do not need to be stuck. The stone has been rolled away and Jesus is inviting you out of the tomb into new life. The second practice this week is communal scripture reading. We're not our hearts burning within us as he opened the scriptures to us, said Cleopas and his companion. And one of the best things for our spiritual lives can be sharing, reading, and studying scripture together. Now, the Bible is actually never meant to be read alone. It was never created that way. It's a collection of different stories and letters and books that were written to people groups for people groups to read together and share in. And there's a time and place in our day for us to read the scriptures together uh, and also individually in our own lives, uh, one-on-one with God each day for sure. But if we don't have communal scripture reading, how are we going to understand the text in a new light? How are we going to understand, if we're, if we're a white Christian, how are we going to understand what it's like to be a black Christian reading the Bible? Yeah. And vice versa. Yeah. We need to hear other people's perspectives or we'll never understand what it's like to be LGBTQ+. What it's like to be a, an immigrant or an orphan. We need to read the scriptures together and through a communal lens. Amen. And as I think about this, uh, I think about my, mo- my mother and my father. They're up here. Welcome, you guys. Thank you for joining us. Um, but uh, they, they live in Virginia Beach, and they do this thing uh, most every day during the week called a Havarim group, where they get together with some friends, and they just read through books of the Bible. So they're reading through a chunk of, say, Romans chapter 1, Monday, Romans chapter 2, Tuesday. And they read through it each week, and they're meeting every day. They're calling a friend and talking about what they read. And I see that. I'm like, that's incredible. That must be so encouraging and impactful. And my challenge for us is for each of us to just make it a weekly practice for you to to read the Bible with someone else, to share scripture with someone. Maybe it's just sending someone a scripture to encourage them. But share scripture with others every week. I think about the guys, you guys know who you are, who I'm in Bible studies with each week. And I love those times. Those times mean the world to me. I'm so grateful for them. And I know we need those times. So read scripture together. And the third practice is communion. Each week we gather to take the bread and wine of Jesus' body and blood and share. Communion literally means sharing with one another. That's all it means. And it's meant to be a meal. Even if it's only a little tiny, tiny little bite. It's a meal that we share with others in the presence of Christ. And when we take communion each week, let our eyes be opened and reopened again and again to the risen Christ in our midst. And let us be those who leave the tomb empty behind us. 
Let us be those who do not stay stuck in sin or shame, but let us run freely back to Jerusalem, back to the presence of God, joining with our brothers and sisters in the faith who will live beside us both now and forever. And let us experience the resurrection in our midst. And for Jenny, let us remember that that dreadful snake, that one who has no arms and no feet, has been disarmed and defeated by Jesus this day. Amen and happy Easter.